our Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence and for the, the opportunity to study the book of Revelation. We would like to have the same spirit as uh, you inspired uh, the Apostle John. Uh, help us to see your work and your message and help us especially to be connected constantly to your power. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, I will just finish with uh, item number 12. So I chose 12 verses. This is the conclusion. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And I like to underline the fact that the Holy Spirit is mission-oriented. It's not uh, only us or Jesus Christ. Jesus, I, Jesus Christ said, go and make disciples. So we know that Jesus is mission-oriented. But also the Holy Spirit will say with the bride, come. The invitation, the invitation comes from the Holy Spirit. I have a very nice presentation about Isaiah chapter 55, but I have no time to explain to you the reference. It, this is the reference from the book of Isaiah. Um, inviting us, inviting those who are thirsty to receive uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, I would like just to finish with uh, this these, yeah Ellen White was explaining about uh, Acts chapter 2 and she said how powerful was the presence of the Holy Spirit in the first apostolic church and she said these sins are to be repeated and with greater power the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former reign, but the later reign will be more abundant. The Spirit awaits our demand and reception. And this is what I like here in this text. Christ is again to be revealed in His fullness by the Holy Spirit's power. When the Holy Spirit's work, it works, it is always to reveal better Jesus Christ. This is the same message. Men will discern the value of the precious pearl. And with the Apostle Paul, they will say, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for, the, for Christ. Uh, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And um, she is very free to say everything that she thinks because she is talking uh, from the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I would be able to be so specific in, uh, as she is, but she has authority. She said, the Bible should not be brought into our schools to be sandwiched in between infidelity. It's a powerful statement. And I like to know that Ellen White at that time was willing to put Jesus Christ only and not uh, 
sandwiched in between uh, <laughs> all other things. Um, I agree that we have to study other things. I like sociology, I like psychology, I like so many things. But everything has to be examined through Jesus Christ. And this is so nice. And uh, she will conclude, this is a long quotation, keep in the channel of light, study the Bible. If you want to be connected with the Holy Spirit, don't forget to study the Bible. And uh, I will just finish with this question, if you want. What is the etymology of inspiration? In spirit. You see, inspiration, it comes for there, spirit, in spirit. When you say enthusiasm, it means en teo, in God. So if you want to be a good Seventh-day Adventist, just be inspired and be... <laughs> filled with enthusiasm, which means being God. Can I say it? I probably will have the, the time to, um, to underline it again. What are the three characteristics of the remnant church? Easy question. Three characteristics. First, keep God's commandment. Second, faith in Jesus Christ. And the third one, the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. Look at all these three elements from God's perspective. Keep God's commandment, which means God the Father. Faith in Jesus means God the Son. And the third is testimony of Jesus, which is spirit of prophecy, which is the Holy Spirit. What are the characteristics of of the remnant church, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are the characteristics of the remnant church? I'm never talking about myself. And people, so many times they ask me, what do you believe? And they would like to know exactly to make differences with their own church. I tell them, our characteristics are God himself. We have nothing else to give to the world. We have nothing else to share with others if not our identity, and our identity is Jesus Christ. So to be in God or to be inspired, it is the only goal of all of us. So I would like to say something about the double golden cup for every unclean spirit. Um, this is the quotation of the chapter 13, 14, and 18. And I think that it is important for us to know that if we have the presence of the Holy Spirit at the end of time, we have also the presence of unclean spirits at the end of time. And this is a battle between uh, supernatural powers. It's not only about myself. It's more about who will lead me. 
And uh, this is why we need to talk about, about uh, a double golden cup for every unclean spirit. The text of Revelation chapter 18, verse 2 to 4, underlined this element. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the bread of her fornications. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And you can um, see in this text the condemnation or the reason why the church is no more the church of God. These are characters very, very explicitly. Just rem remember all details of the text. First, Babylon is fallen. The church is defeated. The church becoming a dwelling place of demons. The false church, the imitation of the church, is defeated. This is the first constatation. This is the first statement. The second aspect is a dwelling place of demons. I don't need to talk about um, New Age uh, concept. I don't need uh, to, to present all aspects of this supernatural conflict. As the Seventh-day seven Adventist members, we understand well the great controversy. But I would like to underline the fact that if there is no place for the Holy Spirit in the church, then other spirit, spirits will come. And if the Babylon, as the, the woman, is a fallen church, there is always a supernatural power. If it is not the Holy Spirit, then this is a dwelling place of demons. The third element a prison for every full unclean spirit. When we talk about unclean spirit, we need to talk about the purity of the church. And um, if I have time, I will spend a little bit of my time to talk about the, the purity of the church. And uh, the fourth aspect is apostasy and well developed this idea in the first five century of the church, they talk about the apostasy of God's church. The fifth point is the wine of the wrath of her fornication, immorality of the church. The sixth aspect, the kings of the earth have committed fornication, which means that the church started to do politics. Seventh, the merchant of the earth have become rich because of her, which means that the church started to do business instead of preaching <laughs> the gospel. And the number eight, the abundance of her luxury, possession instead of being. I like the interpretation of someone also for France. He said to us, how simply Jesus worked to explain a mystery of his kingdom. The symbols are wine, and bread. And then very simple symbols. And then he said, the church decided to put the wine 
in a golden cup. A simple symbol <laughs> uh, took place in a golden cup. And then uh, the bread was on the golden plate. And then everything was on a, how to say, uh, altar. And it was in a cathedrals. And he said, uh, uh, it was shocking for me to understand that in uh, uh, the church St. Peter's of Rome, uh, one of the most beautiful churches of Christianity, you can see that one pillar was prepared, was worked on by a very known artist for 35 years. He spent his entire life only to build a church. And he said, I come to this church and I see so many wonderful things. This is art everywhere. And I understand that we made Christianity so complex. The Christianity is no more simple as Jesus taught it. And I understand that the luxury creates problem for the church. Right now, tell me, what do you see here? If you see something. Yeah. Tulmond, uh, everybody saw it? I will try to help you. So right now, probably you see white and uh, black surfaces. This is an eye. And this is also an eye. And then you have uh, ears. And this is the head. Do you see it right now? Everybody sees it? This is a cow. If you see only one detail, you will see, you will say, you will interpret it differently. Then when someone explains to you some of the detail and make, makes connection between, then you see, I, I, I see the global picture. This is so also when you study the text from the Bible. If you understand only one text and you don't see the connection of this text to another text, then you will be lost, especially if it is a difficult text to interpret. So, which means I would like to suggest to you to work hard in order to have a global picture. The first two aspects will be very quickly. We will not use our Bibles, but I would like to invite you to underline some text from the book of Revelation. It will help you to know where you are. It's very easy, very simple. So uh, I think that I can have a better definition. No. Okay. Um, we have uh, in the first eight verses the introduction of the book. In this introduction, you will see Jesus, and you will see that he is called Alpha and Omega, and he is called again Alpha and Omega at the end of the book, but not between. It's very significant to, to know. Then you have a sentence, 
things which must take place. And then you have the conclusion, behold, he is coming with clouds. This is the introduction of the book. Then when you go to the conclusion of the book, you will see that it starts with chapter 22, verse 6 to 21. You have the mention of Jesus. You have Jesus presented as Alpha and Omega. You have the same sentence, things which must take place. And then you have, surely I am coming quickly. The beginning of the book, behold, he is coming with clouds, and surely I am coming quickly. The revelation of Jesus, therefore, is for me, not only to see Jesus in his glory, uh, very close to the throne of God, but more to understand that the revelation of Jesus will help me to be ready for his coming. Because the message at the beginning, at the end, is surely I'm coming quickly. Be ready. So this is, for me, more than only to say Jesus, revelation of Jesus. Because you have so many people around us, even Christians, they like Jesus. But they know Jesus as a baby Jesus. Or they know Jesus uh, from their perspective. And for, for them... Everything is closed with the Calvary and resurrection. It's done. I remember that I was part of a committee discussing with Protestants in France. We were seven from the Seventh-day Adventist Church and seven people from the Protestant churches, representative of almost 900,000 uh, believers. And their president of the... Uh, Protestant conference of churches in uh, France made a speech that I didn't understand. I have to recognize. I like to talk with others. I'm not close in my mind, but really I didn't understand. And I, at the end of his speech, I asked him a question. Could you please clarify for me what do you mean about Jesus and especially his coming because it was not very clear to me. And he said in front of so many people, we were 14 and so many other people around. And he said, to say it frankly, I don't believe that Jesus will come again. <laughs> I said to myself, what? A Christian leader is not sure that Jesus will come again. Then... We, we have not the same understanding of the, not only of the book of Revelation, but of entire Bible. So when you say the revelation of Jesus Christ, I would like to say revelation of Jesus Christ, who will come again? This is the story, the story of Jesus coming. Everything has to be understood from this perspective. Right now, you have the central vision, as we say, chapter 12, verse 1, until chapter, end of chapter 14. This is verse 20. And I call it, oh, it is possible that it is not so well. Yeah, good. Um, from my understanding, in this central vision, you have 10 parts. It is not my purpose to present these, these 10 parts today. 
But when you say 10, and you know that this central vision is about the judgment, 10 and judgment work together. Everybody can understand. So you have three wars. The war between uh, the dragon, not me, dragon, I'm dragon, I'm not dragon. <laughs> it's different. A-N, not O-N. Uh, the war between the dragon and the, the child. You know, the, the story of chapter 12. Then you have the, the war between Michael and dragon, again. Then you have the war between the dragon and the remnant. All three wars, we know that the dragon will lose or has lost already. Which means you have three wars in the chapter 12. And it's very clear. There is no um, difficulty to understand that you have three parts. Then you have three main um, elements or individuals uh, working during the end of time. You have the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and then you have lamb with 144. And it is very interesting. You have in Greek, kai eidon, and I saw, and uh, a beast. And I saw, and a beast. And I saw, and a lamb. <laughs> very, very interesting. So it is a surprise to put all three together, but it is true. These are key elements to understand the end of time. Then you have three angels' messages. So you have three wars, three key um, individuals, and then you have three angel messages. And the tenth part is the judgment. Very interesting in itself. But right now, if you understand that we start here the central vision of the judgment, I want to remind you that everything before is to help people to be ready for the judgment and everything after be here to help people to understand the consequences of the judgment everything is there only also to connect with the gospel of john i have in my computer but i have no time to talk about everything the gospel of john is about Pesach, Jesus as a Lamb of God. You have also seven, um, seven parts. And everything is about a festival, Jewish festival, and how Jesus accomplished it. So the Gospel of John is about spring festivals. And the book of Revelation is about fall festivals. You have Pesach in, in the book of John, and you have um, Yom Kippur in the book of Revelation. Now I will try to invite you to open with me Revelation chapter 1, verse, verse 9 and 10, and someone will read because we are not... Um, verse 10. Could you please read verse 10? Someone will read? Revelation 1, verse 10. On the Lord's day, I watched from the spirit, 
Okay, thank you. You need to note, please underline, I heard a loud voice like a trumpet. A loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega. So, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. You need, when you start a new part, a new section in a book, to be careful how you recognize what is giving you right to open a new section. And here, I think that those who are only uh, listening through the audio verse, uh, dot org, uh, yeah, they will understand that the same way. They can go through their Bible and understand that the beginning of the new section starts with a voice loud as a trumpet. When you go to the next section, it is uh, chapter 1. And if someone can read verse 1 for us, who will be the person to help us? So, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And you will see immediately the connection between the beginning of each part in the book. Excellent. You have again the same introduction. You had at the beginning of the message to seven churches, you had a voice, loud voice as of a trumpet. And you have the same voice as the trumpet introducing the next uh, section, which is the section of seven seals. Let's go again. And uh, I don't need... Uh, for us to read, this is the part of the trumpets. Everything said in this section is about the trumpets. And this is what I said to you at the beginning of the book. Everything before the uh, central vision is to help us to understand the importance of the judgment. It is the trumpet. Be careful. You know that before the judgment, before the Yom Kippur, 10 days before you have as we call Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the festival of trumpets, which means someone is, during the festival, playing uh, trumpets, uh, shofar, telling them it is a new year for the Jewish people, it is a new year, we change the page, we open a new year be before the Lord, but we know that in 10 days, we will have the Judgment Day. So Rosh Hashanah is to help people to be prepared for the Judgment. So here, you start with a voice loud as of a trumpet with seven churches. Then you have seven seals. And you start again with a voice loud as of a trumpet. And then you have trumpets. Everything here was to say, be careful, the judgment is coming. Right now, we will try to continue with the next part. This is uh, chapter 15, verse 1, until 16, verse 21. Could you please read for me 
chapter 15, verse uh, 1, and you will see that we are not talking about, about uh, trumpets, we are talking about the plagues. Could you please read verse 1? Someone will read it for us. Thank you. You see that we are talking about plagues. You have seven trumpets and then you have a seven plague. If you want, the connection between two is almost extraordinary. You have one third of the destruction and you have the same thing here but a total damage, total destruction. So when you compare seven trumpets and seven plagues, you see that, that um, you have um, here only, um, how to say, warning. It will come, but it will be worst. And then you have uh, the seven balls. Now, the next one, you understand that we were here to prepare the central vision about the judgment time. Then you have the consequence of the judgment time. time. And then you have only two parts. Nothing else. 17, 18, 19, 20, until 21, verse 6. Everything is about the end of time. And you have only two options. We will start with the first one. Someone can read with us 17, verse 1. Who will read it, please, for me? Thank you. So one of the seven angels, one of the seven here, one of the seventh, I will show you, come and I will show you. Very interesting that he will show Babylon. This is why we say that the next section of the book of Revelation is about Babylon. This is the first consequence of the judgment. But very interesting also, is when you come to the chapter 21, verse 8. Someone can read for us 28, verse 21, verse 8. You will see that you come... Oh, sorry, uh, 20, 21, verse 9. Could you please read it uh, for me? Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls spoke of the seven last plagues Thank you so much. Do you see the indication at the beginning of each, each section helping us to understand the global picture of the book of Revelation? Here you have the central vision and then you have seven plagues, seven angels with seven plagues. And one of them comes to John the Revelator and he said to him, come, I will show you Babylon. And again here, one of the seven angels with seven plagues come to John and he said, come, I will show you Jerusalem. Which means that you have only two options after the judgment. There is nothing else, nothing between. 
you belong to Babylon or you belong to Jerusalem. Now, I will have the opportunity to do the, develop with you this part. This part is very easy. Jerusalem uh, uh, chapter 21 until chapter 22. Everybody enjoyed the reading of this text. But Babylon 17 verse 1 until 21 verse 8, it's a little bit harder. And this is my purpose that we continue and work to understand what is the message. For me, there are two parts in this part of Babylon. I will show you Babylon as a result of the consequence of the judgment. Do you understand this? It's very easy to see that the book is done with uh, elements of seven. For example, you have three announcing the judgment, then you have the judgment itself, and then you have three consequences of judgment, which means that everything is about the judgment. This is why in the middle of the book we have three angel messages to say, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. It's here. This is the central message of the book of Revelation. So, this is about the introductive words. I will show you Babylon. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. This is the beginning of the chapter. And right now, I know that for the PowerPoint it's not easy to present, but you can follow, and uh, if you want my presentation, then you can continue to study at home. You have two parts. For me, you start with the chapter 19, verse 11, the second part of the judgment. You have two judgments. You have two. One about Babylon, another one of the beast, the false prophet, and the dragon. Can I say something? Please don't... Uh, don't understand me wrongly. Uh, when the Babylon is done, the beast is still here. <laughs> This is the message of the book of Revelation. If it is not clear in your mind, you will see. Just read the, 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 the chapter 19 or 17 and you will see. You have first... I give you some elements to understand why it is so. You have, in chapter 17, verse 3 to 6, you have the woman in the wilderness sitting on a beast, Babylon, the mother of harlots. This is the first vision. And the parallel vision is the vision of someone sitting on a white horse. And this is Jesus. And you have same, same style of presenting. And it is very interesting, I am just going farther, verse 5 of chapter 17, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abomination of the earth. On the other side, for the second phase of judgment, you have Jesus Christ on the white horse, and how it is, he is presented, and he has on his robe, And on his tie, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How beautiful it is. For me, to find that in chapter 17, verse 5, you have a name written, 
And then you have also in chapter 19 a name written. And then you have a, a contrast between Babylon the Great and King of Kings, Jesus Christ. It is, I was overwhelmed when I discovered it so many times ago. But it is very clear as message. The first message, the first consequence of what I'm telling you here is don't compare Babylon with the, the woman of the chapter 12. Don't compare Babylon with the remnant. It's not necessary. In general, everybody compares. Ah, you know, the, the woman from the chapter 12 is... Uh, uh, enveloped with uh, with the sun and then moon under her and and then uh, the crown uh, and the uh, white woman and then uh, the Babylon is no this is wrong for me it's very wrong because we have nothing to show to those who are part of Babylon if not Jesus Christ the only thing that we can show to them is Jesus Christ so the best way to compare, if there is something to compare, is to compare Jesus Christ sitting on a white horse and on his robe, uh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, then I accept that we can compare him with Babylon. And when you understand that he, she was working in a strong connection with the kings of the earth, then you understand that someone else was over all politics of Babylon. Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you understand, I have no time to go through all these elements, but the first aspect, 17, 3 to 6, and 19, 11 to 16, is about judgment of Babylon and judgment of the beast. And the first introduction is the vision of Babylon, and the second phase, the vision of Jesus Christ himself. The second aspect is about the destruction. You have two aspects of destruction. You have the destruction of Babylon, and this is all you can find in this text. And then you have another destruction, destruction of the beast and of the false prophet. My interpretation is, if... When you destroy Babylon, the beast is not destroyed. It means that Babylon is larger than the beast. And it is normal and logical. The beast has power of seduction and was working so hard, even those who were on, on her side, working hard to seduce the entire world. And when the Babylon is destroyed, it is not the end of the story. We have to wait, to wait even after thousand years in order to see the destruction of the beast and of the false prophets. The third element, Babylon is fallen and became a prison. This is chapter 18, verse 1 to 3. There is a word in Greek that you can find on both sides. If you are not very clear because of different translations, you can find that in the orig original they are really in parallel. So you have 
The Babylon is fallen and the dragon is in prison. Babylon became a prison and the dragon is in prison for a thousand years. It is very interesting in itself to, to understand, to compare what is possible to compare. Then you have the fourth part. God's children don't participate. This is the invitation. God's people call to come out of Babylon. But it is not only to call them to be out of Babylon. We are not only to, to say, I am not a part of. You need to be part of something. <laughs> when you call someone to go out, then you need to come somewhere else. And you have a wonderful explanation on the other side that our goal is to reign with Christ. So there are two options. From one side, to come out from the confusion and then to come to reign with Christ for a thousand years and then uh, we know what is the next. Then you have <coughs> the judgment of Babylon has come in one hour suddenly. And it is very important for us to understand that, um, as you can see, it's very easy to have something happening so quickly that even everybody is uh, disturbed. And this is what we can find here. The judgment of Babylon has come in one hour. But the judgment of Satan will come after a thousand years. <laughs> It's a little bit different. <laughs> it's not in one hour, but after a thousand years. But it's still the question of the timing of the judgment. And um, you have three very known lamentations. I am trying to... Uh, you have three different aspects. Politics, uh, business, and uh, you have at the end uh, the possessions as characteristics of the false church. Then you have the end of Babylon, the story of a mighty angel and a stone. And you have also the end of death and Hades. Hades, Hades, how in original is Hades. So the, the end of Babylon and the end of death and Hades, which means that you enter to the last part of the book, uh, God living again with his people. And the last one is as a conclusion. For this first part, I have this text in a Word version, Word document. It's very easy to compare when you go through. The conclusion is a song on both sides. You have, Alleluia, Babylon is judged. After this thing, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor. This is the conclusion of victory. And you have on the other side, now I saw a new heaven. You, 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 you see a great multitude in heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there was no more sea. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, a loud voice on the other side. You see that there are so many parallels to tell us something very important, which means that the victory is already there. We, we not know only 
the victory. But we know the song <laughs> of the victory. It's already prepared. As you have here, this is a schedule for the weekend. And in the schedule of the weekend, you will find that during the worship service, we will sing something. I don't know. This is in the Bible to tell us we already prepared a song of victory when everything will be done. Babylon will be destroyed and also the beast, the, the Hades, the death, everything will be destroyed. And we will sing this song. <laughs> everything, the schedule is already done. Everything is prepared. And I, I find it so encouraging for all of us. So when you read these chapters 18, uh, 17, 18, 19, and 20, you understand that you have only two parts. Two parts of the judgment. Judgment on this planet Earth and the universal, if you want, cosmic judgment. Because the question of the judgment is uh, far beyond our planet. Tell me, I, I don't want to shock you. Do you know what is the origin of, of sin? The sin comes from where? From Ontario, Oshawa, Quebec, <laughs> uh, Australia, Africa. From where? From heaven. Be specific when you talk about heaven. From where? From, um, I don't know, Andromeda, from uh, Orion, from, from where? Very close to God's throne. And I continue, I say every, every time that I present this. Be specific from where? When you say very close from God's throne, it comes from the heavenly sanctuary. Do you agree with me? The sin comes from the heavenly sanctuary. Lucifer was the high, highest ranking officer in heaven. Musician, uh, um, when you say Lucifer, which means light somewhere in the root, you have light. Someone who, uh, who was always dwelling in the most extraordinary light. The sin started in heavenly sanctuary. This is why I have no problem to understand that what happened on the cross will continue also in heavenly sanctuary. If you have a cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, it is for a purpose. Those who want to eliminate the heavenly sanctuary, they want to say the, the sin is about us. This is anthropological view of the plan of salvation. We need a cosmic view of the plan of salvation. And this is biblical. Colossians chapter 1. You understand well the, 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 the story. God wanted through Jesus Christ to reconcile with himself what was on this planet earth, all people living there, and what was in the universe. Which means something needs to happen there where the sin started. Imagine, uh, I don't know, imagine that uh, I was never in, in Afghanistan, but imagine that Ben Laden was born in Yugoslavia and was hidden for years in Yugoslavia. Everybody would come 
to Yugoslavia to look for bin Laden. <laughs> it is so. So I can understand that Lucifer was eliminated from universe, but he came down and he pretended that he has right to continue to be in contact with the universe. You know the story of the Bible. Which means for me that it is normal if one third, do you know what is the meaning one third? Which means uh, 33% of heaven, of universe, accepted his concept. It is normal that they start and they look to everything in details. Because when God does things, he would like to do things so well that never again we can see such a story as we have here. So for me, it is very interesting to know that there is a global, sorry, there is, there is a global, a global view of the controversy, great controversy between good and evil. And what is wonderful in all these stories is that the final song of the victory is already written. And we know that we will sing it. And we know that we will sing with King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is sitting on a white horse. This is something wonderful. So um, I have to stop here because we have time. Do you have some questions? It is probably technical, but it will help me in the afternoon to tell you something more about conclusions, what we can do. Uh, what insight could you share with the repetition of this causing, this causing? Uh, is, is that just emphasis, or is there some kind of a <coughs> First, the certitude that it is so. Second, this is an echo. How to say echo? Echo. And um, which means that if you have a loud voice, a mighty angel with a power and uh, um, everything that was done, it means that it will resonate everywhere in the, on this planet. So it is, it, there is no doubt that it will be understood. When I read Ellen White about uh, uh, the, the earth was illuminated with his glory, she explains well that it will become very clear for the majority of people. They will understand, even though they will refuse the message, that they will understand. Illuminate, we have a hard time, we are... 6,000 people among, uh, among uh, 8 million of Quebecois. 6,008 million. How can we illuminate Quebec? We have a hard time. What to say about the worldwide church? We have, I don't know how many billions of people. We are 15 million. We are so glad for every soul. But the question is that we have a hard time to illuminate. And I know... And I like what Ellen White said very well, and this afternoon I will repeat it. Um, there is no other message. It's the same message. Mighty angel will repeat the message of the second angel. And he will say, Babylon is fallen. 
But when the beginning of this message was proclaimed in 1844 and after, or before and after, then it was not very clear. The time will come. For me, this is emphasis on the reality that everybody will hear and that there is no doubt that it will be so. This is also connected with, and this is my doctoral thesis about the structure of the book of Jeremiah. If you want to understand the second message uh, among three, second angel's message or the message of the mighty angel in chapter 18, you need to understand the book of Jeremiah. It's not possible in another way. And then you will understand the, the meaning of uh, Babylon is fallen. Can I say something? I don't want to disturb you too much, but this is the reality for me. Don't be very happy when you listen this and I'm not promoting a new doctrine at all. I'm only reading the Bible. In general, Babylon is fallen after Jerusalem is fallen. I don't, if you see, I don't know if you see the implication of what I'm telling you. When Jeremiah wrote his book, he knew that he was established by God as the prophet of nations, as plural. At the beginning of his book, he presented prophecies against Jerusalem, call for the repentance. But at the end of his book, he presented the messages against nations. And um, Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 before Christ, for the third time, but completely destroyed. And then we had 70 years of captivity, exile in Babylon. At the end, Daniel read and he said, it has to be very, very soon. And then God said, uh, Zachari Zachariah, and he said, uh, Haggai, to tell them, just work hard because 70 years will finish in 15, 516. Exactly 70 years after we had the dedication of a new temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 and Babylon was destroyed in 539. 40 years the difference. And when Jeremiah writes the prophecy, he says, I'm so glad for the destruction of Jeremiah. Just pay the double for Babylon, what they did for, to us. To us, which means when Jerusalem was destroyed, if you don't understand what happened, just read Psalm 137. And when you read uh, Psalm 137, you understand that uh, Babylonian soldiers, they took children and they, how to say, uh, they killed them by, uh, how to say it? Um, Polomilim, 
glave o stenu. Kako bismo mi to mogli kažem? Ja to Their heads on stone, on stone. You know how it was? I don't know, awful to, to, to see the picture. And Jeremiah said, just pay him for what they did to us during the destruction of Jerusalem. Then when you are in the time of Jesus, Jesus said, you like Jerusalem, but it will be destroyed. You know the story. And in 17, after Jesus, oh, we had the destruction of Jerusalem. The destruction of Babylon came only in 476, far after the destruction of Jerusalem. And then when you talk at the end of time, my message is, I like my church. I live for God and for his church. But don't think that you can find security within the church. The time will come, the time of persecution, you will be alone with God. At that time, we will not talk um, uh, about God's children there. We will talk about God's children in connection with God himself. And then Babylon will be destroyed. And then we have eternity with God himself. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.